Ladies and gentlemen, sip an overpriced latte, buy a new pair of neon vans, and use Twitter to find out Justin Bieber's marital status. Because it's time to talk tall to me. not sure how that's relevant to what we're talking about. Oh, you'll see. Okay, I can't wait. (laughs) Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am Nick McGill. And I am still Omen Sade. And we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me, a musical time ship where we whip back and forth seamlessly in great leaps from the past to the present to the future. And today we are going back Tell the future. Ooh. We are taking you all the way from the end of Benefit, which was last week, all the way to the very present day, 2019 Earth. In fact, the date is 9-14-19, Forest Hills Stadium, Queens, New York. Imagine yourselves there. Heavy clouds and chances of rain. And also a 100% chance of heavy rock and roll. Heavy metal, no. Heavy metal if it were... I never remember which album won the best heavy metal. It was... Catfish Rising. Catfish? No, no, no. It was Steel Monkey. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a joke. So, if you remember from last week... We are going to be talking about Jesse Winters' field report from a Jethro Tull concert from the middle of September. We are taking a, a brief Tullcation from the albums to, to give you a, an update from the field, as it were, um, to see what the band is up to almost as we speak. Pretty close to us speaking. So we are going to share jesse's recordings with you guys and do a quick little uh little discussion about them as we go along but first i think we should just read out the whole set that we have we don't have all of the songs jesse did not record all of the songs but we do have a a list of the full set that he did get to see nick you have severely piqued my interest oh My interest is in firm peaks right now. It's a turgid interest. I would like you to tell me the set list that they played song by song, if you please. So for the first half of the concert, we open with For a Thousand Mothers. Oh. Followed by Love Story. Hmm. Song for Jeffrey. Ooh. Someday the sun won't shine for you. Early stuff, early stuff, early stuff. Dharma for one. Wow. A New Day Yesterday. Wow. Beret. Okay. My God. Okay. And then to round out that set, we end with Thick as a Brick, which is a a really good ender for like your first half, I think. Nick, it it seems to me that in this concert, at least in the first half, uh, Mr. Anderson is reverting. He's entering his his second childhood, as it were, by returning to mostly stand-up. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of early stuff, for sure. Hmm. Yeah. What about the second half? Second half opens with Passion Play. Ooh. Followed by Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die. Wow. Then we Poignant. have... <laughs> yeah, who, who knew uh, 40 years ago he'd be writing something so, so appropriate. Yeah. King Henry's Madrigal. Okay. Then my absolute two favorite back-to-backs, Songs from the Wood into Heavy Horses. Ooh. So good. Yeah. So good. Yes. Warm Sporin. Mm-hmm. Farm on the Freeway. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah. Aqualung. Heard of it. And <laughs> sounds familiar. Can you guess the closer? Locomotive Breath. Yes. Yes. They do that literally every single time. Literally every single time. Was there a, uh, a digestif at the end? Was there a an encore? Not that I see. Hmm. Not that I am being told... By Jesse. Amazing. Well, that sounds like a, an incredible concert. Do we have, Nick, a list of the musicians playing at that live event? I don't think I have 
No. Why don't we take a second and see about the current lineup? Well, since you talk about the lineup, we do have some news, quite recent news. According to the Jethro Tull Instagram, because that's where I get all of my Jethro Tull news. Because you are a millennial. Because I am a begrudging millennial. Their current youngest member, I believe, Florian, whatever that great name is, Florian. Florian, O-P-A-H-L-E. Couldn't tell you how Opale. to spell it. Opale. Opale. Florian is leaving. And a new guitarist, guitarist number five, if you include Tony Iommi in that, that number, is Joe Parrish. Joe Parrish will be jumping in with them in February 2020 to start their Prague Years tour that they're starting in 2020. And Nick, how old is Mr. Parrish? Is he an old geezer? Oh, no. He's like, he's a baby. Is he a whippersnapper? He is the whippersnapperist. Oh, he's a recent college graduate in music composition and theory. But it is his eclectic playing skill and attention to detail which got him the job. I see. There are only 11 dates listed for the Prague Gears tour in the UK in September and October. And I right. quote, This tour will draw heavily on material from Jethro Tull's more quote-unquote Prague albums, much of it focusing on the early, quote-unquote, heavy hitters. Of the Tull catalog, classic albums including Stand Up, Benefit, Aqualung, Thick as a Brick, Passion Play, and even a touch of Thick as a Brick 2 from 2012, wow. which no one asked for. <laughs> so, in that case, the going back, circling, circling vulture-like back to the original question, the current lineup in terms of this concert that we were talking about would yeah. be Ian Anderson on flute, and the big personality, David Goudier on the bass, John O'Hara on keyboards, accordion, and maybe a little voice, Scott Hammond on drums and percussion, and Florian Ophelle on the lead guitar. Is that a blood relation Hammond? A genuine Hammond? Is that a genuine, like, stamped on his butt Hammond? I don't know. Like, as the generations go down, do they lose the hyphens? Is this the last Hammond? And his great, his, his grandfather was... Jeffrey Hammond, Hammond, Hammond? Marcus Hammond, Hammond, Hammond. And then before that was... Yeah, they're, they're running out of Hammonds. Yeah. There can be no more Hammonds. No. It reminds me of what Groucho Marx said. There can be no more Hammonds. If we had ham, we could have ham and eggs. If we had some eggs. <laughs> that man was brilliant. So, Nick, what is the first <laughs> song, what is the first bootlegged recording that we have to share with our wonderful listeners today? Let us begin by listening to a song from A Thousand Mothers. A song for A Thousand Mothers? A song for, yeah, that one too. A song from A Thousand Mothers would just be... To one Ian Anderson. <laughs> a thousand voices saying, Why couldn't you have been a dentist like your brother? <laughs> You're looking thin. <laughs> you never call. <laughs> Hey, go around and then 
That was the live version of Song for a Thousand Mothers. It was. How do you feel about it? You know, I my feelings about it caught me off guard. I was honestly expecting, because, you know, I, I haven't listened to a live recording of Tall recently. Mm. And the last time that, that I saw them live was more than 15 years ago. So long ago. I was not expecting the level of energy and the amplitude of that stage performance coming through that speaker. Musically, yes. The flute was awesome. The drums were great. The guitar was clean. But the reason that I stopped going to Tull concerts was Ian's voice. And it's just as bad there as it... It's it's worse there than it was 20 years ago. Well, sure. You, you can't live on the road for 50 years and, you know, have no, no real singing training to begin with and expect that you're going to end up with a beautiful lovely sounding voice at the end of it all i know the problem is with me is i can't listen to the albums and then go and hear him sing down the octave and just not be able to hit anything and it doesn't i mean honestly it just doesn't sound good to me it sounds like he's straining yes i i totally see where you're coming from but at the same time the power and the draw of the music itself, of the instrumentality and the the sheer just chops of it is just extraordinary. And of course he's not he's not screaming like he like he used to and neither is anyone else from that long ago. Fair enough. I mean tr- absolutely true. Yeah. Most people who who started their careers as musicians at the same time that Ian Anderson did have stopped touring or are dead. Yeah. Or if they are still singing, they they're in a similar position and i agree with you You know it's it's it sounds it sounds a bit like a dude straining it to hit some notes but what hasn't been dampened is at all for me is that sense of precision and that sense of power mm-hmm. coming off the stage it's i'm connecting it to what we've been talking about in terms of their early years being really a live performance band and how that's how they got their following was these crazy shows where pe- where people would just yeah be drawn to that energy and even with a completely changed lineup, even with totally new members, there's still that incredible energy coming coming out of the recording for me. Yeah, I see that and I acknowledge that. And honestly, that is like, that's the saving grace. Yeah, and that's why people are still going. Yeah, that is the reasoning behind why they can still, after 50 years, sell tickets. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people are nowhere near as bothered by it as I am but there is such musical talent in Ian Anderson alone let alone the guys in the band right like they could pull off a perfectly fantastic instrumental show they have yeah pull in a quartet you know but then it wouldn't be Jethro Tull would it no I mean it still would (laughs) (laughs) no The last thing that I have to say about that song is, why is everyone talking? <laughs> Who talks in a concert? Let's listen to some more and see <laughs> if they keep talking or if they realize that the band is playing. What do we have up next? Valid. Next is Love Story. Ooh. Roses. 
Hey, Nick. Yeah. Did you hear the gentleman midway through that song say, Stop talking! That was, I missed that. That was your spirit animal. That's That was me, actually. I, I, I bought a ticket just to go out there and do that. Yeah. You know, I think I do actually have an answer. Before we get into the song and the, or the performance itself, I think I do have an answer to why people are talking during this concert. Is it because of his voice? No. <laughs> I think that they're, in a way, doing the same thing that we're doing. Commentary? Yeah, sort of. But but also, you know, I heard a lot of people saying, oh, do you remember when they did this at this point? And, oh, do you remember with this concert uh... here? They're reminiscing. Jethro Tull, okay. because it has been around for 50 years, is like a bit of a time warp. So going to a live show connects you with, in an intimate way, with the last 50 years, which is why everyone should immediately go and buy a ticket to their prog rock concert series in england i'm not gonna lie seeing that list of of albums that they're mainly pulling from is very exciting super tempting not to go to england per se but if they were around (laughs) here sure but yeah i do think i do think that that's part of the reason why people go to the live shows and i think that's what happens to the to the people who just want to listen at the live Mm. shows is they get annoyed by the people who are actively reminiscing and kind of engaging with that time stream sure yeah there should be sections the talking a talking <laughs> and a non-talking talking. section yeah 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 that, i like a that. talk oh talk told to me section Ooh, yeah very yeah. very uh very elegant that section this concert brought to you by talk told to me <laughs> i wonder how much money we would have to pay to be sponsors of a jethro tall tour more so much money more more <laughs> just just more nick let's talk about this performance i forgot how much i like this song i remembered this song as soon as they started doing it it made me want to go back and listen to it the actual album version of it which one is it on this is stand up i think oh right 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 we we've we've already talked about this then haven't we yeah 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 you know you know what it was a bonus track off of I stand recall. up yeah you know you were talking about how his voice has changed, but really, for a 72-year-old person, he's not doing too bad. Obviously, he's he's placing some of the notes in his voice a lot differently than he would have 50 years ago, but mm-hmm. he's still getting there. My curiosity, is he using a rogue Irish accent to sing this particular song for some reason? <laughs> Did you notice that? I didn't. The morning time. I did not. It's to compensate for his age. I guess it yeah. is. It probably is. 
Got to use those consonants. I think if I didn't have the original to compare to, it would be a completely different story. If I were to, to listen to his stuff now, unadulterated by the early stuff, by the actual recordings, yeah, I would be able to separate and, and say, wow, this old dude is able to really rock. Well, you know what they say? What do they say? To compare is to, is to despair. I think we've also said this on the podcast. It's a good reminder. Early on. It's a good reminder. <laughs> this is your reminder that to compare is to despair. Fair enough. Fair, very true. Fair, very true. Fair. Anything else you want to say about Love Story? Yeah, there is something. When we went to their concerts almost 20 years ago, they were playing some of the songs and trying to change up the styles of them. You know, do a do an electric song, acoustic. Sure. Change the tempo or even the time signature of, of some songs. And this was very straight ahead. This was very much like yeah. It sound it sounds pretty much like the album. There are a couple extra riffs in there. You know, it's obviously a live version of of the song, but it's pretty pretty straight ahead. Oh, that was interesting to me. I think a lot of this tour is revisiting the past, and will therefore probably be basic cuts off of the tracks. Although one note that Jesse made for someday the sun won't shine. Even though he didn't record it, this is the one I want to hear the most because his note says, just Ian and Florian on harp. Ooh. Right? On the harp? On the harp. I would love to hear that. Does that mean the mouth harp? I don't think so. <laughs> That's what the English call the um, the harmonica. Oh, I was thinking of the Jew's harp. No. <laughs> boing, 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 <laughs> or did it boing. mean the harpsichord? I'm assuming like a stand-up harp like your brother plays he plays the celtic harp which is more of a lap harp than a concert harp which is what you're thinking of <laughs> heaven forbid <laughs> tune into our other podcast haggle harps to me um but i do think you're right i think that this tour does seem to be revisiting the past and we are revisiting the revisitation of the past and when in a hundred years the podcast talk talk tall to me to me comes out they will be revisiting our revisitation of ian's revisitation of the past all fact absolutely and with that let's yeah. uh what are we listening to next song for jeffrey Ooh, mr hammond let's hear it I'm a 
Wow, Nick. Omen, what do you think about that one? I love the part where he FaceTimed Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. <laughs> do you know? Do you under, know what this tour is? No. Every song, or nearly every song, is introed by someone from the band. Like, My God has an intro by Tony Iommi. Mick Abrahams does an intro for Someday the Sun. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's all old old footage and it's it's a big it's a big kind of audio visual experience that's really fun this one is yeah that being said jesse said that he saw this exact same show oh. a year ago so like they've been they've been really pushing this they pushed it for the 50 years that they existed right last year and then they they redid the entire thing again for the 50 years in the states Right, which is like right. the year later. Very so. clever, very clever. Yeah. That's a bit like re-wrapping a fruitcake for someone else for next Christmas. Do you understand what I'm saying, Nick? Let me put it to you this way. I give you a fruitcake. <laughs> you don't want it. But it's a perfectly good fruitcake. It's a legitimately good fruitcake. You give it to your cousin. You're like, hey, I got you this fruitcake. She's like, thank you so much. But I don't like fruitcake. Right, <laughs> and on it goes. But yeah. that sounds a bit like what they did. But but I it, I have two feelings about that. About the regifting of fruitcakes or this song? No, I have only one feeling about that, Nick, and you know very well what that is. No, about the <laughs> about the use of the audiovisual stuff to kind of dedicate songs or introduce songs with uh, old band members. On the one hand, mm. what an amazing tribute to all those incredible musicians who've played in Tull over the years. On the other hand. I kind of have mixed feelings about hearing someone else play Martin Barr's guitar licks. That's what I'm feeling right now. Even though Florian is great and he's from Germany, it's just weird. It's weird hearing someone other than my, my knight in shining armor, Martin Lancelot Barr, playing those, those licks. And he sounds great doing it. But what does that have to do with like the introduction? It has nothing to do with that, Nick. I just wanted to speak about my feelings and I couldn't contain them oh. anymore. Okay. I didn't realize that this concert was going to be such an emotional journey for me. I did not either. <laughs> what do you have to say about this song? The heavy kick drum in the beginning? Yes. Boom was really cool. That kicking in with the harmonica was really nice. Yeah. Ian's voice in this totally worked for me. I was impressed that he was able to do that kind of, I don't know what to call it, but the sort of falsetto bark on. Yeah. Uh, see, see, see where I'm going. Yeah. But even the, for lack of a better term, like the rewriting of the song, of of the lyric parts for him, mm -hmm. normally it just sounds like he's doing what he's doing, which is compensating. This one sounds very natural to me. I think that might be in part because of the style of the song. Because it's more rooted, rooted in the blues, it's a little bit more conversational, I would say. Hmm. Okay. Well, how do you feel about this? About the song? Yes. I thought it rocked. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I, it was super toasty. I liked it a lot. Again, this is a great reminder that they are maybe first and foremost a live band. Jethro Tull exists because of live music, not because of albums. Sure, as most of the bands were at that time. And, you know, there's a big, what with the last 20 years and the, the whole digital explosion, the digital revolution, kind of undermining record sales across the world mm -hmm. live shows are predominantly now how bands make their money that's like their primary income these days sure yeah because we can go on spotify and listen to any of these songs but we can't have the experience that the people at that concert are having unless we go yeah there are very few bands that i follow updates on regularly but one of the bands that raven and i are really like is a band called carbon leaf and they are non-stop. Yeah. There is no downtime for them. Yeah. And their concerts are awesome. Yeah. And they just keep pushing. Yeah. You got to be dedicated, I guess. They're like a high-traffic boulangerie. They just got to keep making that bread. I could not have put it better. I hope you won't try. Nick, what's the next song on, on this recording series that we have? Next one, we are going into Dharma for One which then blends into A New Day Yesterday. Amazing. Yeah. Let's put it in our ear holes. 
Okay. Nick, there's a lot to unpack here. So yeah, that was two chunks. We had Dharma for one. We did have and Dharma for a one. new day yesterday. Yes, we did. So thoughts, Omen. So Nick, Dharma for one has one of the most iconic and incredibly raw and playful, youthful, off the cuff drum solos that I am aware of in in the history of recorded music. And Mr. Scott Hammond here has to, on a probably nightly basis, play a drum solo, which everyone inevitably will compare to that previous solo. Mm-hmm. It's such yeah. a fascinating question as an artist. You know, how do you how do you step up and do something that's already been done so well? And this, for me, is a great example because he makes it his own. He adds in his own influences there. He plays with rhythms that were totally not there in the original recording, you know, that Bunker didn't have at his disposal. I, I felt like there were some some Caribbean or some uh, Latin American rhythms thrown in there, and he totally mm-hmm. killed it, and he totally made it his own, and it was delightful. It's funny, the the way that that solo is set up is it, it has a little bit, and then it stops, and then it slowly builds back up again. Right. 
that first portion of it sounded spot on to Clive's. Sure. It's that second part when he built back up that he really made it his own. Which is such a nice way of doing it. It's almost it's yeah. almost like saying, I'm going to respect the original. Here, Here is my tribute to the original. And now mm -hmm. it's 2019 and I'm going to let fly with my own stuff. Yeah, that fits it perfectly. Absolutely. All that being said, drum solos still bore the hell out of me. <laughs> but it was good. I mean, as far as drum solos go, it was good. As far as a jab in the eye with a sharp stick goes, it was tops. Sharp sticks aside, sharp drumsticks aside, hearing Dharma live is better than the recording. It's so I cool. love yeah. Dharma live. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. What a great live song. The only sad thing about it is there's no claghorn. Do you think he left it in the in the paper bag? I would genuinely like to know the last time the claghorn was used. Do you think that it's sitting in a special case off stage in some concert hall? in the Czech Republic somewhere and was just, just left behind? Or do you think it's... It's just covered in dust. Or do you think it's, in, or do you think it's like encased in glass in the, in the, jet, in in, the Ian Anderson in the Museum in Scotland? <laughs> the best thing to come out of Scotland since Haggis. <laughs> you know, it could honestly be either of those, Omen. I don't dare... I don't dare make a, a guess on the that. The mystery of the Claghorn will remain elusive. Yeah, yeah, it, it sure so will. So then we have A New Day Yesterday. Mm-hmm. We do. What? We have treat. the exact same A New Day Yesterday. <laughs> that one felt very cookie cutter, pick it up out of the one and drop it into the other. There was nothing, nothing that wowed me about that. It doesn't help that I generally am not like super fond of that song i think the thing that was i agree with with your assessment that it was it was pretty much done in the same way that it's done on the album mm -hmm. i think the cool thing for me is hearing a song that was fresh in 1971 1970 mm -hmm. and still works it still works for a crowd even though people have heard it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times it still has power it's still it's still a viable live song to play it doesn't sound dated to me even though even though it sounds well rehearsed, it doesn't sound out of date, if that makes sense. To be honest, I think some of that has to do with the fact that it's a brand new band. Yeah. I mean, for all for all intents and purposes, they they weren't there at the creation of this song. Right, so they have fresh eyes. Some of them weren't even alive at the creation of this <laughs> some song. Some of them were <laughs> conceived to this song when it was being played live for the first couple of times. I do, I do want to just comment on, so we, we don't have it here on the podcast, but Ian introduces the song with a reference to um, Joe Bonamaza. Oh, yeah, good, good. Yeah, we do need to talk about this. And for the entirety of the song, you hear a couple of dudes <laughs> saying, who's John Bonamaza? So, <laughs> so John Bonamaza isn't a person that necessarily exists <laughs> joe bonamaza is one of the greatest american guitarists in this century he he opened for and toured with bb king when he was a teenager he runs a uh, a non-profit called keep the blues alive which helps fund um, music education in schools throughout our country so he's a a great guitarist a stand-up guy and and his name is joe and his first album was called a new day yesterday and was recorded in dear to our hearts ithaca new york Oh, was it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He covered A New Day Yesterday. And he covered A New Day Yesterday. And no, it doesn't make you a bad person for not knowing who he is. Omen just told me, literally just told you and me, and I still don't know who he is. No. So. <laughs> but just so you don't go off Googling John Bonamaza. And yeah, the, the speculation it, during the concert was, is John Bonham's son? Because that's how last names work. <laughs> John Bonham's son. <laughs> Oh, he's got to be John Bonham's son because his name's John Bonamason. Yeah. It's like Johnson or, or Thompson, just Tom's son, John's mm -hmm. son. Yep. Yeah. It all makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, Omen, how about we get into, into two instrumental tracks? At the same time? 
I mean, I'll probably play them one right after the other, not okay, cool. at the same time. One in the left, one in the right ear. I'll set them yeah. up stereo. Yeah, they're like a they're like a motorcycle and a sidecar, just riding along on parallel tracks. Yep. I mean, that technically works because it's Beret and King Henry's Madrigal. So. Ooh, let's yeah. have a listen. Yeah. Thank you. 
And there we have it, Nick. Two instrumentals for the price of one. Mm-hmm. Well, it was nice to hear this this new arrangement of Beret. I know it's not actually new. I know they've been doing this arrangement for a long time, but it was um I appreciated it. It's jazzed up a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it's it's great. It's great to hear a different version of it because we've all heard Beret so many so times. So many times. And it, and I thought that the the new bass solo from David Goodyear was completely serviceable and the audience clearly went went bananas for it. <laughs> completely serviceable. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was massively adequate. <laughs> I'm just being silly. I really liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was it was cool. It was it was the one part where the musician it was fiercely average. <laughs> it was a it was aggressively banal. <laughs> it was the one part of the song for me that it was like, oh, that's really a different person playing. Hmm. Okay. I feel like the piano was was a lot stronger than we've traditionally heard it. I really liked hearing a very very prominent piano in that. It's true. I I mean, all of the musicians really, you, their personalities are coming out. Maybe that's just be, just because we're you and I are in this moment hearing these tracks, these tracks. Wow, these performances and these mu- musicians for the first time. Yeah, but it is it is really cool hearing a, either a slight or a very different interpretation of some of these some of these musical licks and riffs that we've heard that we're so used to being played by the the old timers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it really shows that they're they're bringing in something new, something of what they had to get into Jethro Tull in the first place, essentially. Right, right. And I think it further proves my point that they could very well get away with an instrumental show between these two songs. Pretty darn good. Sure, why not? <laughs> That's all I wanted from you, Omen. <laughs> Let me throw you this bone, Nick. <laughs> this is also a nice piece to check in with Ian's flute playing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because while he maybe has lost some of his vocal ability, he's only gained as a flautist. Oh, for sure. It is, it's so smooth. It's so second nature. Yeah. It's not him just playing the same thing that he played on the album no, track. No, he's really evolved. Like he, yeah, he can play this stuff in concert yeah. and really embellish and make it his. Yeah. And again, like, he's been playing that exact same thing, even with embellishments and whatever, for God knows how long. But it's it doesn't feel stale. It doesn't feel canned. He sounds really present with it, which is, in, which is incredible. Yeah. Thinking, I mean, how many times has he played that, it's that song live? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right. Thousands, literally thousands. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and it still sounds fresh. And, you know, there was a little, he gave us a little flash of the 1970s at the very yeah, end that, there with, with, his little, with his little flute snorting routine. Yep. It, was, it was there. I was like, oh, there he is. There's Ian Anderson. There, there's Grandpa Ian. The core, you know, the, the, the crust of the planet may have cooled, but the, the heart of Ian Anderson is still molten metal. You are correct in saying over a thousand times for Beret. It is just over a thousand times. Is it really? Yeah. Great. Yep. And again, you know, with this song, you really get the sense that the flute has become an, just an extension of Ian's soul in a way, really. I mean, an extension of his yeah. will. He's so one with his instrument. Yeah. For lack of a better term, the stereotype of, of Jethro Tull being the flute yeah. is like that's why yeah, because he's so good and it's i'm not saying it derogatorily or pejoratively at all like that is what he does that is what ian does well and by golly does he do it well he sure does well and it's not it's it's, it's not a bad thing to to signify or to to sign jethro tall with the flute because you know when i was introduced to jethro tall i was like oh why do i want to listen to some rock band my friend was like it's a rock band with a flute player and i was like hello you have my you have my attention yeah you could easily say it's a gimmick, but it's been a successful gimmick for the last 50 years. And I think it's like, it's a gimmick until you hear it. And then yeah. it's just a unique singularity. Yeah. Pulling us ever further into its event horizon. 
it's a very successful use of an instrument in a non-traditional way. Yeah. That's all. Shall we talk about King Henry's Madrigal? I'm glad you brought up the harpsichord. <laughs> oh my God, the harpsichord in this. It's so good. Are you a fan? You're... I love harpsichord to begin with, but boy, oh, howdy, doesn't? does he rock the hell out of this. He does. He oh, rocks that harpsichord. It's so good. I like this song live better than I like Beret live. Wow. Yeah. You must like it quite a lot. I do. I do. There's an energy there. Yeah. And I think it has to do with the fact that we certainly haven't heard King Henry's Madrigal live nearly as much as we've heard Beret. No. So maybe there's still a freshness there. It's a tune that pops off. And, you know, obviously, because they're kind of dedicating this tour to former band members, obviously mm -hmm. they're going to play King Henry's Madrigal because King Henry VIII did write this when he was touring with Jethro Tull. Right. In 1579. He was came before Clive Bunker, right? Yeah. He yeah. was the drummer for, before Clive. Just until the War of the Roses. Right. Before they actually had any albums out. So, like, some people, some, some tall purists say he wasn't a part of it. But, you know, he came from the Blades. So, he I would did. say that he's a King part of Henry that. King Henry VIII did certainly <laughs> come from the Blades. That is true. But all joking aside... Excuse me while I push my glasses up my nose. <laughs> this tune was actually written by King Henry VIII. It's based off of pastimes with good company. Yep. Just a fun, fun fact for all of our fellow nerds out there. For all of our fellow Renfair nerds. But yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up John O'Hara on the piano with the harpsichord button pushed on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It was a, he was just sad at the synth, yeah. Right. But you know, it's but great. Still. It's delightful. It's it's so yeah. it's so refreshing. It's it's so fun. It's great. What a yeah. what a lovely pair of instrumentals. Yeah. Thank you. I was hoping you'd notice. I yep, always do. I'd say that about wraps up our tracks. We're gonna go out with one more instrumental. A little warm spore in action from Stormwatch, Storm I believe. Stormwatch, oh yes, sir. Yeah. The delightful piece. We'll end on that. We hope that you have um, enjoyed this tulcation, this, this little exploration of a, of a live concert. Obviously, this is something new for Nick and I. We've never done this before, so let us know what you think about it. Yeah, please. We will be back at you next week with some audience reaction to the concert, and you'll get to hear from some fellow tull acolytes like yourselves. That's right. Come on back next week. Do the thing, subscribe, review, <laughs> etc. Send us an email. Yeah, you know, make us. Also, you know, this this is a good reminder, and I I do really want to uh, impress this upon all of our fans. How extraordinary that we are all fans of this band that has such a long history and is still touring, in this form at least. And you know, if there is a Jethro Tull concert near you, I hope that you take the opportunity to go out and see it, and uh, experience some of this music live. And if you do, write to us. And let us know how it was. Yeah, please. Absolutely, please. Until next time, I'm Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Thank you.
I don't know the contents of this warm sporin one, so let's see. <laughs> let's hear what it actually sounds you like should before I always be dive, wary dive of the contents of a warm sporin. It's a shame that I'm not going to actually use that. We're in timeout right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're in timeout. I've been in timeout for years. Ladies and gentlemen, Bartolome is a proud member of the yeah. Fatus Moles Radio Network. Stop talking! <laughs>